All right, let's go to Acts chapter 13, verse 1. Now in the church that was at Antioch. Now with this verse, a very significant transition has taken place. The headquarters of the church for the first 10 years was Jerusalem. For the first 10 years, Jerusalem, the believers had wonderful acceptance and approval. They had favor. But favor turned into severe persecution and they were scattered. So somewhere after year 10, the headquarters of the church, the epicenter for the church that was being built by the apostles, moved to the city of Antioch, which is due north of Tel Aviv up toward Turkey. So Antioch is the first place where people were called Christians. And it was a stronghold for the kingdom of God. And we can see that shift beginning to happen in verse 13. So they were in the church at Antioch, were certain prophets and teachers. Then they named some Barnabas, Simeon, who was also called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manaean, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul, who would, of course, be this Apostle Paul. Verse 2, notice this phrase, as they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Spirit said, now separate me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work to which I have called them. Verse 3, Joanna, the wife of choose, no, that's not right. We'll hold right there. And so um, it goes on to say in um, verse 3, Then having fasted and prayed and laid hands on them, they sent them away. So the focal point of what I'd like to talk to you about this morning is verse 2, where it says very clearly that as they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Spirit said. So I want to talk to you about ministering to the Lord. Um, My motivation is twofold. First of all, I want you to encourage your worship experience here from Sunday morning to Sunday morning. I want to encourage your worship experience. Secondly, I want to sow seed in your heart that would enrich Pray 21 for you this year. I want to say some things that would motivate you, inspire you to begin to plan your 21 days and set time aside for the Lord. So let's talk about ministering to the Lord. You know, what we need is powerful church. Pleasant church is good. Friendly church is good. Um... Smooth church is good. Organized church is good. Beautiful church is good. All of that's good. But what we need more than all of those good things is powerful church. So when I think about powerful church, what is powerful church? Powerful church is when the presence of God is undeniable. Powerful church is when lives are changed, hearts are changed, minds are changed. Things get fixed that were broken. Um, Direction is given. Where the gifts of the Spirit are operating. We want powerful church. Everybody say powerful church. 
Powerful church is beyond what I can do. Powerful church is beyond what you can do. We can make the lights right and the air condition set just correctly. We can make the aesthetics right and we can put a big friendly smile on our face. Those are things we can do. But powerful church goes beyond what you and I can do into the realm of what only God can do. I want powerful church. Church that is focused on Jesus, led by the Holy Spirit, that church where there is a, an energy, a life, a moving experience that people that don't even know Christ can enjoy, where unsaved people are convicted of their sins and prompted to give their lives to the Lord, where backsliders are convicted and returned to Christ, and where people who are cold in heart suddenly catch fire again. We need powerful church. I think that one of the keys to powerful church is knowing how to minister to the Lord, knowing how to come in together as a congregation and really minister to the Lord and to create an environment where powerful church can happen. I read to you from the book of Acts where in the church at Antioch, there were multiple prophets, there were teaching gifts, there were apostolic gifts, there were pastoral gifts, there were elders, there was the general congregation. It was a strong environment and there were strong people. And the key leaders of the church had come together to minister to the Lord and fast. To minister to the Lord and fast. So it was a designated time. It was a unique season. It was orchestrated for the purpose of ministering to the Lord. It was in that setting where time had been set aside, schedules had been altered, people had dedicated themselves to this purpose, that the Holy Spirit began to stand up and speak out and began to launch work that he wanted to do. It was in that environment where they ministered to the Lord that the Holy Spirit said, separate Barnabas and Paul for the work that I have chosen them. Now, this was the initial sending of Paul and Barnabas. This is, this is the... The, the sending of them on Paul's first missionary journey. The world was about to change. Nations were gonna be shaken. Cities were gonna be turned upside down. Churches were gonna be built throughout Southeast Asia and the world was fixing to find out about the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. And all of that cataclysmic, historical, legendary, world-changing events happened out of a season when the apostles had set aside a time to minister to the Lord. And so when you and I set time aside to minister to the Lord, great things happen. Something wonderful takes place. Powerful church happens when we come into his presence and we minister to the Lord. Well, what does it mean to minister to the Lord? It refers to a dedicated service to God. When you dedicate service to the Lord, he becomes the focal point, the centerpiece. He becomes the, the, the reason. He becomes the why. He becomes the purpose. And he is totally the center. 
when it talks about ministering to the Lord, it means practical service in the house of God. It also means ministering in the presence of God. So ministering the Lord, as I see it, has two dimensions. When, when we come into this house, it takes a lot of people to make church happen. If you want to have powerful church, you've got to have a lot of powerful volunteers that are doing practical ministry to the Lord. It could be waiting for you in the parking lot or just when you walk inside the door, or it could be making sure our facilities are right, our music team that spends countless hours preparing to usher us into the presence of God, our children's ministry, our nursery ministry, all of the things that's going on, everything that's happening is a ministry to the Lord. That's ministry in the house. That's practical ministry. That's setting the stage and bringing the things in place where God can do something. And then there is ministry in the presence of Jesus. Uh, that dimension where that we have interaction and encounters with God, where the Holy Spirit begins to manifest and demonstrate, and we can feel ourselves coming very near to God, or rather God coming very near to us. We see examples of people that ministered to the Lord in the Old Testament. First of all, God chose the entire tribe of Judah. Remember, Israel had 12 tribes that were a result of 12 sons of Abraham uh, or Isaac. Excuse me, 12 sons of Jacob. I'll get it right in a minute. Uh, ended up into 12 sons, ended up into 12 tribes. And God chose one tribe, the tribe of Levi, to be his ministers, and the whole tribe was dedicated to ministering to the Lord. All other tribes, they had designated plots of ground, and God gave them land to farm and raise their families. But the tribe of Levi had a designation of the house of God, the tabernacle and the temple, and that was their designation because they ministered to the Lord. That means they conduct the business of church from start to finish, and they serve the Lord, minister to the Lord, so the people could come in and encounter their God. David also would come along uh, afterwards and build a temporary place of worship. It was a tent called David's Tabernacle or Tent. And he would begin to orchestrate worship in that tent. The Ark of the Covenant was there. The presence of God was on the ark. And David would model what later would be New Testament worship, the model that you and I continue in today. And David ordered people to come in and sing and play instruments. There were choirs, there were orchestras, and they had certain days and times of ministry. And people with psalmist gifts and the ability to play, they were given instruction, uh, precise instruction, on how to minister to the Lord in music and in song. Much of what we do here involves music and song because traditionally, and historically, music creates an environment for the Spirit of the Lord to move in, if it's the right kind of music, of course. And so in the New Testament, we see people ministering to the Lord. I read to you in Acts chapter 13, the city of, of Ephesus, they ministered to the Lord in homes. They ministered to the Lord in the temple in Jerusalem. Uh, Paul had a, an encounter with God there where the Spirit of Jesus came to him while he was praying in the temple in Jerusalem. And then they ministered outdoors. We read where uh, there was a woman named Lydia 
that had a prayer meeting outdoors by the river and God did wonderful things there as they went out and gathered by the river and ministered to the Lord. And so the Bible is replete with plenty of examples and illustrations of what it means and what it's like for God's people to minister to Him. For you and for me, a Sunday morning is our time of worship. When we set that time aside, we come into the house of God. We serve practically all over this building. And then ultimately, it's to be able to get in the presence of God and to see what God might say or do for us and through us in that atmosphere. There's an interesting story in the book of Ezekiel, chapter 44, uh, that you might study later. Um, But God speaks to a portion of the Levitical tribe, the tribe of Levi, the family of Zadok. And he says to them, they, meaning Zadok's family, will stand in my presence and offer the fat and the blood of the sacrifices, says the Lord's sovereign Lord. They alone will enter my presence and approach my table to serve me. They will fulfill all my requirements. And so what had happened, the entire tribe went through a season where they fell away from God and they didn't lead God's people in the way that they should go. They disobeyed God as the tribe of Levi. But there was one portion of Levi, the household of Zadok, that remained faithful. And God said, now Levi will continue to do the practical service of the kingdom. But because of their unfaithfulness, I will not allow them to come into my presence. Only the family of Zadok can come into my presence. Well, it's an interesting study how that there were priests that came to minister to the Lord. And they did all the things necessary to set it up and make it happen and get ready for the people to come but they were not allowed to go into the presence of God. The presence of God was that um, holy place where the Ark of the Covenant was and the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God dwelt. And so God said, "I, I, I only want Zadok to come into my presence and minister there. You know, I, I don't know exactly what happened, but I'm impacted with the tragedy of a tribe that had the privilege to enter into this presence, but suddenly that privilege was taken away. And Zadok, on the other hand, had remained faithful, and as a remnant of Levites, they were able to go in and minister to his presence. I want the presence of God. You know, Renee and I are known for being hard workers, diligent, and uh, we mainly go day and night. Not quite as day and night as we have in the past, but we go day and night. I love all the work of the kingdom. I love everything about the church and all that it takes to make it happen from Sunday to Sunday. But the main part is, the best part, the good stuff, the stuff I need and want and desire more than anything else is to have those moments of interaction with the Spirit, moments of interaction in the presence of God. You know, of all that I look around and try to make this church as good as it can be and right as it possibly can have, the apple for me, the, 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 the thing that rings the bell, the things that makes it all worthwhile is when I come in and I sense the presence of God and I sense the activity of the Holy Spirit. Now, you already know that God is omniscient. He's everywhere all the time. So it's not like he was somewhere else and he comes in or we're somewhere else 
and we go into his presence. God is omniscient, omnipresent. He's everywhere all the time. But what happens is, is when we get in the right atmosphere, the right time, at the right place, and things are dialed around just right, the spirit that is always there starts to move, starts to manifest, starts to demonstrate. God starts to do things that otherwise was not happening. And so when we come into the house of God, it's like air that is still that suddenly begins to move. We call it wind. And so when we come into the house of God, we come in to worship him because our ultimate goal is for the wind of God to begin to blow and for the move of the spirit to begin to take over. So we want to be able to go into the presence of God and experience him in a life-changing way. That's why we're here. That's the ultimate. Worship is so uh, extremely important to that process. Uh, <clears throat> worship is far more than just music and song. It's everything we do. So in Acts chapter 13, it said they ministered to the Lord. What did that look like? What, what, what does that actually look like when you say, okay, we're going to minister to the Lord? Well, <clears throat> we already know that the first church was a church of corporate prayer and gatherings. And they gathered together in the temple and in homes and they prayed. So prayer has to be a vital part of ministering to the Lord. We also know that the early church sang psalms and hymns and they worshiped the Lord with music. I'm sure it was not as sophisticated and it wasn't backed up all the technology we enjoy today, but their hearts were just as full as ours just as sincere and just as dedicated to the Lord as ours. And they would sing and worship God and minister the Lord in song. They talked about the word, they taught, they fasted. Uh, in addition to that, they prayed for one another. These were all elements of ministering to the Lord. In the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 14, the apostle Paul was offering some correction to the church at Corinth. Uh, they had been excited about spiritual giftings. They had been excited about what they saw the Holy Spirit doing. And Paul went in in chapter 14 and tried to bring some guidelines and, and set some boundaries. Thank God for it. But in that correction, we can see some of the elements of ministering to the Lord. Like when they went to church, what did they do? Well, here's some of the things that we saw. First of all, they spoke with tongues, languages that they had not learned, languages of the Holy Spirit. And in those languages, they worshiped God and extolled the Lord. Other times, God would speak to them through tongues and someone would interpret that message so the people would know what God was saying. That verse speaks of prophecy. So various ones would have, is that rain? That's a lot of rain. So various ones would have prophecies. Uh, they would have a prophetic word that would come over them and they would share that word. All of this would have been in the context of ministering to the Lord. Some would have a word of knowledge, some understanding, some would have a revelation. 
they would have some impartation that needed to be shared. There was teaching. All these things happened in the context of worship. They were ministering uh, to the Lord. It also talks about how that when they had these gatherings, people would come in among them that was not familiar with Christ, not familiar with their culture of worship. And Paul talked about how to conduct all of those things without chasing people out the door that really came with a hunger in their heart. And so that must be considered today. How do we enjoy the presence of God, enjoy our liberty, our freedom, express our gifts, but at the same time do it in such a way that our gatherings, our church services are very uh, appealing and very easily understood and embraced by people that are not accustomed to it. So that's, Acts, that's uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 14. And so worship would have been a big part of that experience. I'm not certain the way we lay our services out today are exactly how they might have laid them out then. We don't know. But we know the elements, and we know what it was about. It was a lot of worship, a lot of music, a lot of singing, a lot of time just worshiping God and praising Him. Can you say amen? They were communing with the Holy Spirit. Music and singing is a vital aspect of ministering to the Lord. One of the philosophies, if you please, that we have here is we start the service with worship, singing and music, because it creates an environment for the Holy Spirit to operate in. So we do that first um, because we want to create the right environment. So we come in and we start to sing and worship and as the people start filling the pews, they walk into that atmosphere where people are worshiping and praising God and where the Spirit of the Lord is already moving. You see, a song brings us together in unity and harmony. It gives us focus. It gives us one message. It unifies us. It puts us together. It orchestrates and harmonizes our worship. You know, when worship, there, there's a place when you hit worship of critical mass. When you have enough people that are plugged in, locked down, focused, worshiping God, that something wonderful happens. It's a critical mass in the spirit that takes place. And so when we're leading worship, we're looking for what percentage of the congregation has really locked in. You know, when we hit the 50-60 mark, where 50 to 60 of the people have really shut things out and entered into worship, we hit that 50 per 60 mark, it starts to feel good. When we can get to that 75 and 85% where 85% of the people are locked in and worshiping through a song, worshiping with their heart, their mind's not all over the map, they're not in body here but mind somewhere else, but they're locked in. When we get to that place, that critical mass starts to take place, energy's released, the power of the Holy Spirit begins to move. Uh, it is awesome. Uh, and that's what we look for. How, what percentage of the congregation is really locked in together and is ministering to the Lord in a song of worship? So do your part. Make up the difference and um, lock in and worship with all of your heart and say, you know what? I'm here today to minister to the Lord. Music is very important. You may remember a story in the Old Testament, 2 Kings chapter 3, I won't read it to you, but I'll tell you about it. 
It was a time when Jehoshaphat and the kings of Israel and Judah had come together to confront their enemy, the Moabites, who were threatening to destroy them and take their land. And so the kings wanted a word from God and they called Elijah to come in and to speak to them. Now, all of these kings were not godly. Elijah said, if it were not for the presence of Jehoshaphat, I wouldn't even be here. You guys don't deserve a word from God. <laughs> I wouldn't even be looking at you except Jehoshaphat and I'm gonna be here. I'll give you a word of the Lord because of him. But before doing so, he said, bring me a musician. Bring me someone that can play a harp. And so the Bible says that when this individual who was called in began to play an instrument and sing to the Lord God Almighty, that the Spirit of the Lord moved powerfully on Elijah and he began to prophesy the word of the Lord to those kings. So what we learn from that is that when we begin to sing and worship God, the Spirit of God begins to move powerfully and God begins to speak and God begins to work. You know, I love to teach after a great worship service. I love to stand up when you have worship with all of your heart, we hit that point of critical mass and there's energy and there's faith and the Holy Spirit is active. And then when I stand up, it's a, it's a prophetic word. It's a release of what God is saying and doing in the moment. It all comes together. Now, I don't always get that privilege depending on where I'm speaking at. And truthfully, I don't always get it when I'm speaking to you. But the desire is, is that the worship sets the atmosphere. Like that psalmist set the atmosphere for the prophet Elijah. They, didn't, they needed a word from God. They needed powerful church. They needed something supernatural to happen. It was a critical juncture in the history of Israel and in Judah. But that musician created an environment where the word of the Lord began to come forth. So remember that when you come in and worship, you're creating an environment where the word of the Lord can go forth. So minister to the Lord. And as you minister to him, expect God to do great and wonderful things in response. Can you say amen? amen. <clears throat> you know, uh, I'm going to abbreviate this last portion, but I want to mention a scripture that is um, feeding my spirit from Habakkuk 2 and 4. This is an old, a small book in your Old Testament. Um, a prophet by the name of Habakkuk wrote these words prophetically. He was speaking about a future time. Though this was written hundreds of years ago, it's still a future time a prophecy yet unfilled. This is what he said. For as the waters fill the sea, the earth will be filled with an awareness of the glory of the Lord. For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as waters covers the sea. First rendering was New King James Version. Second rendering was New, uh, New Living Translation. The second was New King James Version. One said, the earth, will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord. The glory of the Lord in this verse represents the presence of God, the manifest presence of God. And the prophet said, one day, the whole earth is gonna be filled with the knowledge of God's glory 
as the waters cover the sea. But when I read it in the New Living Translation, it says this, that all the earth will be filled with an awareness of the glory of God. So that word awareness has been feeding my spirit, awareness. The prophet said someday the awareness of God's glory is going to cover the earth like the waters cover the sea. Awareness. You see, what we're lacking in the world today is an awareness. God is everywhere all the time. God is moving. God is working. God is in charge. God is doing all these wonderful things all over this planet right now and every minute. But people aren't aware of it. God, help us to be aware of what God is doing. Be aware of the glory of God. It's not like one day the glory is just going to come. It's already here. But the difference is we're not aware of it. So the prophets say one day planet Earth and the human race is going to be aware of the glory of God. Aware. So what we look for when we come in to minister to the Lord is to create, is to increase our awareness. Awareness. Some of you might remember before you came to the Lord and became a Christian, your sense of awareness of God was very low. But then you came to Christ. You got born again and your level of awareness went way, way, way up. And throughout life as a Christian, a moment in God is when suddenly an awareness comes upon you. Have you ever been driving down the road in your automobile and suddenly an awareness of God came on you? Have you ever been just uh, laying in your bed at night and an awareness of God came over you? Have you ever come into church with the world all wrapped around your mind and you're thinking about this and thinking about that and you're going through all the motions and you're doing all the stuff, but there's no awareness. And then, I don't know, something happens and you're suddenly having an awareness of God's presence, an awareness of His glory. And I'm asking God to increase our awareness so that we are aware that He is here. When I'm aware that He's there, it puts me in a totally different frame of mind. I'm more responsible and I'm more responsive. My faith is higher. My gifts are sharper when I am in a state of awareness. You go through life, we get busy, we're conducting life, taking care of business, dealing with that or the other. The awareness factor goes way low. The reason why we have personal private devotion is because in that few minutes, whatever your length is, your awareness is raised. And when you raise your awareness in the morning, you have an increased awareness throughout the day. And so what we're trying to do is increase our sense of awareness. How many of you got that last message? Give the Lord a hand praise if you receive it.